just while you're finding your places. Page 1099, we're in 2 Corinthians. I'll say a bit more about that in a minute before I read it. But this is Laura. Come and, Laura, come and join me here. You all know Laura. There we are. Is that working? Yes. There we are. It is. Brilliant. Um, we just love stories. We've had a few stories recently of God doing things at the annual meeting. I'm uh, so sorry if you missed that. It was an amazing evening. I'm, I'm, I genuinely am really sorry for those of you who weren't there because there were just so many stories of God at work in people's lives. And I remember Ellie Hughes, who was uh, here just a couple of weeks ago, with a story of uh, related to giving and how uh, actually in, in, in giving that released her from the idolatry of wealth and uh, began to enable her to feel welcomed in this place. God doing immeasurably more than all we can ask or uh, imagine with him. Laura, just tell us, um, I, kind of, I guess enough people know who you are, but former uh, life group leader, you're on the worship team, member of the PCC. Yeah, And your sort of Christian journey? Yeah, um, so my parents are Christians, I've always grown up in a Christian home. Um, I asked Jesus into my heart from a very young age, but then it was when I was around 15 on some camp that it kind of it kind of dropped and became more of a lifestyle than that. Sunday thing. And I guess wrapped into the lifestyle bit is when you start earning money and you've got, and you've got an account and that kind of thing. And this whole idea of, of giving money. Yeah. Um, t- t- tell us your journey on that one. Yeah. Um, so I was actually kind of praying about it this morning and the phrase that kept coming into my mind was um, the Lord like, loves a cheerful giver. And um, in line with the story I'm about to tell you, I realised that prior to this moment I'd been a reluctant giver. And it's at church when the basket would pass by, I really, really wouldn't actually want to put anything in there. It would always be like a little coppers I could find in the bottom of my handbag. Or I'd like go to my dad and just see what he had and just put his money in his arm. Um, <laughs> I've heard that story. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so I lived in Australia for three years and um, really understood the, the greatness of tithing, like putting my 10% into a uh, monthly. Um, just giving it monthly. And then annually they have this thing called Heart for the House, which is where you give sort of your over and above. So it's not just the 10% you've decided to give, but it's the opportunity to give a little bit more if you want to. Um, and there's a bit, there's like a few services that lead up to the big Sunday, which is the Heart for the House. Um, and I was like, right, yeah, I'll give $10, maybe $20. That's a very generous, generous amount. And then I just felt the Lord say a different number which was slightly larger than my 10 or $20. Um, and we just kind of thought that was completely wacky and of course I wouldn't do that, I can't afford that. I'm a student, I only work 20 hours a week. I can't give that much money, Lord. And then I had a moment where I was like, actually, I'm gonna praise this because it's such a random sum that if this is the Lord saying to me to give this amount, then I want to do it. I don't want to be reluctant. I actually want to give him this much money. Um, so I did that, and then within a week, I actually got double the amount back from somewhere completely random. I didn't even see that coming, it just came back in. Um, and then every year, I was there for three years, and every year the Lord put a sum into my mind. I pray over it, I write it down on the slip, hand it in, and then within a week, two weeks, the Lord would have doubled the amount that I gave back to me. And it was just really cool. Amazing. Amazing. Laura, what's that done? What the, those sorts of stories, that kind of kind of sense that God is, is kind of honouring your giving, what's that done to your faith? Yeah, it, it completely changed it actually. And it, it made me less kind of holding on to things really tightly and wanting to actually just kind of have open hands all the time, like whatever God gives me, I never want to hold it so tightly that he can't use it again. 
And so then it was really cool. I was actually thinking after this morning, um, and this isn't me because I'm not naturally like, yeah, I give away everything. It's very much prayed through. But after one of these instances, a friend of mine couldn't afford her rent. And I was like, God, I can pay for her rent. That would be so much fun. So I just secretly went and paid her rent because I could. Um, and she's very in tune with the Holy Spirit, and God told her that I did that. And so I saw her, and she just started crying. I was like, my goodness, what's wrong? And she said, you just paid my rent, didn't you? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> and what it's done, and I and I love that it was called the heart for the house because it was it's a heart attitude. It didn't matter, even if it was that the Lord was saying, "Lori, give ten dollars," then that would have been the, the right amount to give. And it was more the fact that He is a generous God, and He has given me so so much, and I never want to take that for granted, and I never want to just assume that I've done it. Like, oh, He asked me to do it, so I did it. I don't ever have give again and I never have to ask again but that it's a constant cycle of okay Lord here I am, here's what I have and I want you to use it and I want to give it to you so whether yeah, it's time or just chats if it's finances, great it's sort of that open hand attitude to say Lord you've given, you are a generous God and I want my life to live generously for your glory yeah. so that's Praise God, thank you so much Just to sort of back that story up, because I'm conscious of um, maybe people visiting here, people you don't know Laura that well, and you hear that story, and maybe you hear, um, I, I, I gave some money and I immediately got double back. Oh, so I gave some money and I immediately got double back. And you think, well, that sounds like, that sounds like a prosperity gospel. I've, I've heard this thing that you sort of give in order to get. It's the, it's the complete opposite. I'm just knowing, Laura, it is actually sadly subtle, isn't it? Because the prosperity gospel, which I think is a wicked uh, heresy, that abuses people, unfortunately, within church contexts, where people in power con those under their power to think that if you give to God, he'll, he'll give you, you'll get back, therefore it behoves you to give. Uh, but this is the complete opposite. It's about generosity. Lord, you've given me so much. Why wouldn't I? You are such a generous God. It starts with generosity. Um, I'm sounding quite, am I quite booby? Yeah. Can we do something about that? Or either on there or with me. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, amazing. Connor, do, I tell you, just the amount of time and effort to, because this place is getting disrupted all the time. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep talking, it'll be like a sound check. Uh, but we, we, we're being displaced in different ways, and I uh, just want to honour the team I work with, uh, just, and, and the volunteers as well, like the refreshments team. You know, we haven't got a sink, we haven't got a uh, fridge, we haven't got anything, and yet we're still laying on hospitality. Well done, you guys. And uh, just, you know, we haven't got our normal sound system. Connie, you're doing an amazing job. Here we are, yes. It was that yeah. the uh, Just a little bit of context to this reading. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, and Paul is writing to the church in Corinth because he's basically writing to a number of churches for a whip round. The church in Jerusalem are struggling. Uh, there's been persecution, they've been uh, driven out of their homes, they've all their possessions confiscated. If they haven't been carted off to the lions or crucified along the Appalachian Way, then they're completely homeless, destitute, and really struggling. And uh, so he's writing to a number of churches to say, guys, can we have a, a collection to support the guys of Jerusalem? And he's written, you see, in chapter 8 uh, of this uh, second letter to the Corinthians, he's written about the Macedonian church. They're in quite a poor part of town. 
Uh, and yet they've given incredibly generously. He's kind of trying to shame the Corinthians into giving generously as well, because if the Macedonians can, then surely you guys can too. So you, hopefully you begin to see some of the kind of um, uh, parallels with us here. And here's the, here's if you like, the rationale behind it, the theology behind it, from chapter 9 and verse 6. Remember this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have scattered abroad their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, people will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Father, we pray that as you spoke to the Corinthians through Paul back there, back then, you would speak by your spirit to us here now, to inspire us, to stir us, to release in us the generosity that lies at the heart of all that you are and all that you do. We, we want to play our part in being the story that releases praise, being part of the stories that result in everyone giving thanks to God. So teach us now, inspire us now, challenge us now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, there was a shipwreck and only two survivors and they managed to, to crawl to the shore of a little desert island in the middle of the vast ocean. And there they were marooned. And the first guy gets really, really busy. He, he rummages around for all the kind of um, scrap wood and uh, anything he can find to make a little fire. And uh, using his, his wristwatch, he tries to sort of get the sunlight reflect on the night a little bit. He's busy, he's frantic, desperately wants to be rescued. And the other guy doesn't do a thing. He just sits in there, sort of makes a little sort of bevel in the sand, and then he just sort of lies back, just uh, thinking, all right, just chills out. And the first guy's busy trying to get this rescue effort going. And he looks, he says, the same guy, don't you care? I mean, don't you want to get rescued? And the guy, chilling out and sad, says, don't worry, God's got it all. He's got it all in hand. I said, yeah, I'm quite sure he may well have, but I mean, we need to do something to get ourselves rescued. And the guy says, don't worry, I'm a, I'm a committed Christian. Uh, I belong to a church. Uh, and I also happen to be a very successful hedge fund manager. My 
fund has uh, risen exponentially over the last few years. And I understand the principle of, the biblical principle of tithing, and I put that into practice, and I give a 10% of all that I earn to my local church. So you chill out and relax, because my vicar is bound to come and find me. <laughs> I was kind of more cynical after at 10.30 this morning. <laughs> that laughter was laced with, oh, I'd love to get there. <laughs> I'm conscious, um, and again, forgive me if you're, if you're visiting here, um, but I'm conscious uh, to those of you who are a bit more regular that um, I've been talking quite a lot about money recently in different ways or for different contexts. Usually it was about two or three times a year that I would bring you in on the privilege of paying attention to all that God has resourced you with. But more recently it's been uh, quite a lot of times. Uh, until today, I've really, in the last six months, I've been focusing on the money that we need to raise by way of funds for our Living Space project. That's the, the name we're giving to this refurbishment, which, as you can see, is well underway. If you glimpse under the, don't take the door off now, and you glimpse through there, you can see the steels that are going in to provide the mezzanine floor and the vestry. They're halfway through the building, the infill there, which will have the toilets and storage and the office space there. They've knocked a hole through the kitchen. Uh, the old kitchen, so that uh, we've got access to the new kitchen pod. Fantastic. And, and all of that is because um, of, among other donors and uh, means of raising money, you and the church have been incredibly uh, and sacrificially generous. Thank you so much for all that you have given, particularly over the last six months, that have enabled us to instruct uh, with the sort of go and enter into contract with the building contractors here for every bit of work that we, we need to do. So we've been able to instruct everything we need to do. Uh, and because of the really clever way in which Charles and Tim have kind of chunked up the work, um, we can instruct and, and get the work begun, but we haven't yet quite got all the money that we need um, in order to finish everything that we want to do. So, so, for example, we can put down the uh, sub-floor, the sort of basis of the new floor, but we haven't quite got the money to actually lay the floor itself. So we'll we, be able to exist on the sub-floor, it just won't look as nice. It won't look like the finished thing. We can put in the infrastructure for the lights, but we haven't yet got all the money for every light fitting that we, we want. So, it just because it, it, I can understand, think, oh great, the work's begun, they must have got all the money. Uh, we've got most of the money, but not quite all of it. But that was a sort of big segue, that's living space, so I'm going to park over here, because what I'm doing, charged by my PCC, who I share the leadership of the church with, uh, over last year, when we were looking, and looking at the finances in general, just the, the normal housekeeping finances, and looking at some projections into 2019 and beyond, uh, and the PCC said, you know, I think it'd be good if we had a little season where we looked at our finances and uh, how we steward everything that God gives to us, uh, just in the main and the plain. Never, never mind living space, just in the main of the plane. So that's what we've been about. These, um, if you're part of a life group, uh, and by the way, if you're not part of a life group, we'd love you to be. Come and see me, Lydia. We've got some good news. Uh, there are new openings and possibilities there. But as the life groups, we've been looking at a Bible study series over the last few weeks. We've looked at the generosity of God. We've looked at the economy of the kingdom. And, and just by way of very brief recap, the generosity of God, God knows nothing other than to be generous. It's just the very essence of who he is, to give. One of the most famous Bible verses in the whole Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You and I are here tonight 
billions of Christians are meeting all around the world today because of the gift of that one life. God gives. It generosity is in the heart of who he is. And I say that because so often um, the, the, the mindset of the world in which we live, maybe your office, your work, your neighbours and friends, can tend to operate on a, on a sort of scarcity model, scarcity paradigm. That in some way, sort of, you know, God is kind of running out. Resources are running out. And, and whilst that may be true of creating things, that isn't true of the creator. You, you cannot outgive God. You cannot out sort of use God. He, he is the source of all things. And he continues to give and to bless. We run out of energy, run out of steam. Our world is depleted. Physical, the creative stuff is, it gets depleted, but not him. So if we're seeking to become like God, we want a heart after his. Not, not to ape the world, not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. But, but, but to be transformed into his heart of generosity. We tend to think that when we give something, we, in some way, we lose. We are in lack. We've given something away. We, we are the less. But when God gives, he creates. He creates something new. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him should not die, lose, but inherit eternal life. Creative gain. When God gives, he creates. And so the economy of the kingdom is not that I give in order to get the kind of prosperity gospel. The economy of the kingdom is that when I give, it's like I invest. I sow into something. In fact, as we saw in the, in the groups, the, the Bible talks about giving in terms of um, a harvest. As in the inference here in this in this passage, that um, when, we, when we give, we invest, and God gives us even more. Look at verse 10 of uh, chapter 9. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way. That's, that's how God creates. He takes what you give and he expands it or develops it. And that's what I loved about Ellie's um, story the other day. She was sharing here about how she committed to give, even though at the time she didn't have a job and it was risky, about, like Laura was saying here, it was, it was a risk, a punt. But as she was obedient in her finances, God actually made her rich in every way. She, she realised that in the transformation of her heart, she felt at home in this church family. In, in a way that she knew that she needed to be. She's been you know, working through some things in her life. And, and this place suddenly became like genuine family. It was like God, as it were, repaid her, made her rich in that way. That's what he does. That's the kind of God we're talking about. As we give, we, we join in with the economy of the kingdom that is all about giving, generosity, growth, increase, richness in every way including ways that you, you can't measure in financial terms. When we combine, combine the generosity of God with the economy of the kingdom, we realise that God can do an awful lot with our little. Jesus told a story about a 
farmer who had some seed, tiny seed, seed, and he throws it. Some is on the path, gets eaten by birds. Some gets swallowed by the, uh, the by the, the weeds. Some is on rocky ground. But but tiny seed that falls on good soil produces a whole crop, 30, 60, 100 times what's sown. There's the principle again. Tiny thing, and it gets transformed into a, a richness in every way. One seed, a harvest, that provides more seed for the sower to sow again. And chiming in with uh, Laura's testimony and experience. That's what happens when you combine the generosity of God with the economy of the kingdom. When you commit to that, you, you, you live counter-cultural, holding, holding on. Giving is a way to undermine the idolatry of wealth, which idolatry just leads to, to anxiety and nervousness. Have I got enough? What's going to happen? to wrath, moth and rust creeping in. Ah, and I, I become fearful and anxious. But if, if I start from a, a generous, giving heart, I, I find myself in the full flow of the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added to you. And you know the peace that, again, Laura was talking about. The peace of God. I'm in the center of his will. He'll provide. There's no glorious way, more glorious way to live. Thanks be to God, Peter. Uh, sorry, Paul. We've been in Peter the last few weeks. It's Paul now. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Verse 15. He says, for his indescribable gift. Some commentators think he's, he's referring there to, to Jesus himself. Who, who gained his life as a sacrificial, generous act so that each and every one of us here can gather and know brothers and sisters, love and support, can worship this God who's given so much to us. And again, look at the harvest. As I say, there are billions of Christians in different tribes, nations, tongues, worshipping the God who gives. So let's get, let's get practical here. How is the money that's is generously donated by so many of you here. How is the money that is donated to the ministry and mission of St. Dias, how is it sort of apportioned and stewarded here? And here, let me just, just say, just in case, it's sort of one of the little myth busters that we looked at in the life groups, but I think a number of people assume that as a church, we kind of get a sort of um, package of funding from um, the centre somewhere. Maybe you think it's from the government that the government sort of quite likes all these historic buildings, so let's, let's give them some money. Um, no, in fact, on, on the contrary, I would make quite an argument that we are, as we try to do a lot of fundraising for this, we are often penalised from um, lottery funding and from a, a whole range of funds available to all sorts of community groups, precisely because we are specifically Christian. And we're not, thanks to canon law, we're, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not at liberty to open this place up for worship of all sorts of religions because it's consecrated for Christian worship. And that actually excludes us from a lot of um, money out there. Some people think, well, maybe well, you must come from the Church of England, because look at the Church of England, all those fine robes, and all that sort of pomp and ceremony. There must be loads of money. Um, well, it depends how you measure it. The Church of England is wealthy in terms of the estates that it owns, but that, that isn't realised into cash in our pockets here. Uh, a lot of it is tied up in investments, and while some of that, the interest, works its way down the system, uh, it doesn't get as far as the parishes. <laughs> uh, so we don't get any money from the government. We don't get any money from central church. Uh, and the vast majority, because this particular church doesn't own a property from which we can uh, derive a rental income. Um, the, the, the hall across the way belongs to a charity that is linked to the church but is entirely separate. 
Uh, and so all the revenue that it generates belongs to the charity, not to the church. Uh, I, we don't own vicarage, we don't own, we rent out um, uh, Lydia's flat where she stays. So we, we don't have many other, we, we probably raised about 40,000, I think it was, uh, last year from revenue other than donations. So we are, we are almost entirely uh, uh, reliant on the generosity of you guys. And I, I, I want to say thank you. So in, in, in spelling the myth that we get money from elsewhere, thank you so much for what you enable all of us to do as we minister a mission. So I, I want to spend just a little, be a little bit practical, but I, I hope this is interesting uh, for you uh, and a little insight into how we steward and apportion the money that is uh, uh, given to us. Um, and to that end, I'm going to ask Laura Brimacan, who, as you know, is our Director of Operations, to come and, and join me here. Uh, Laura is amazing. She's been with staff for six months or so. Come and, come, yeah, come and join me around here. Uh, uh, and uh, if I kind of lead the church spiritually or oversee that, Laura kind of oversees the management of the church. So we, we sort of stand shoulder to shoulder in that sense in the leadership along with the PCC. And Laura, along with Camille, our treasurer, has quite an insight into the, into the sort of finances and, and how, they're, how they're sort of managed. Um, so let's see if we can have the slide, uh, James. Have we got the slide? Oh. The, uh, the, the one of the, the picture of the church? So sorry, I should have, I should have checked that was on there. We're, we're going to, what all Laura and I are going to do is just go through some of the key uh, expenditure pieces. I'm so sorry that I should, that's completely my fault, not James's fault at all. I should have checked that that was on there. We had it this morning. But, um, let me, why don't I tell you, because I, I, I know the figures. Uh, so here's the first one, which is uh, basically three headings uh, for how we apportion our money. Maintenance, ministry, and mission. And I guess maintenance, you, you basically describe that as the building costs of the church. And um, it, it rounded up the costs each year for the maintenance of this building, £26,000. What? 26, Laura, help me. How, how come... We spend £26,000. That sounds like an awful lot of money. Uh, it does sound like a lot. It's actually only seven, uh, seven, between 7 and 8% of our budget for the year. So when you think of it like that, it's actually not quite so much. Um, but it, of course, it's really important, actually. Um, it sounds a little bit boring, but actually, we wouldn't be here if we didn't have a safe uh, building to be in. Um, we need to insure the building, and that's about 6000 just over £6,000 for the year. Um, you've got all the gas bills, the electric bills, the water, um, the phone line, the internet. Um, we have to do a, a lightning test to make sure that the building is safe. Uh, we have the mass man. Um, we have <laughs> lots of things like that, actually. Meaning that we can come and uh, be in here on Sunday. Obviously, the schools come in during the week with funerals and um, Thanksgiving services. The building needs to be warm, uh, light, and safe. So, actually, twenty-six thousand pounds isn't actually that much. No, indeed. And actually, you think about how important the environment is. You, you want, if you're welcoming guests or friends into your home, you know, you do a bit of a tidy up, make sure the heating's about right, it, it looks good. You, you want them to feel welcome. And, and this is our home. And so, in order to, to heat it, to light it, to clean it, uh, to make sure it's safe and so on, then um, yeah, there's there are certain building costs. 
It's oh, wonderful. There we go. Fantastic. Oh, we've given the whole thing. Never mind. Uh, uh, we, worked, we, we carefully worked to go incrementally. Uh, oh, there we go. Yeah. Okay, pretend you didn't see that bit. Uh, okay, let's have the next one. Because uh, this is under for ministry now. There we go. So we pay something called the Common Fund. £93,000. What is the Common Fund? Well, as the name suggests, it is, uh, a, 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 it's actually a voluntary contribution that is required of every church to contribute a sum of money to a, a big pot, a common fund that's administered by each diocese within the Church of England. So every church in the Church of England contributes towards the common fund. And the common fund then is used to, to pay for a whole load of things. It pays for the, the vicar in a parish, his or her housing, pension costs, uh, training uh, and support. That's true too of uh, most curates, uh, and in addition, there is uh, the kind of it pays for the salaries of a sort of support or, or back staff in each diocese. So we have a little team in the diocese who are kind of the go-to for issues around, let's say, let's say building issues, or around HR and the whole uh, sort of staff welfare, or around safeguarding, or around finances. And, and the vision there is that kind of the bishop and his team, he doesn't want vicars like me, jobbing vicars like me, to be, to be worrying about, oh gosh, what do I do if the roof leaks, or I, I might have a safeguarding issue, or the finances. He, he wants me to be as devoted as I can be to the ministry and mission of Jesus Christ in the patch I'm called to ministering. So there's a backup team who will do all that worrying and all that sorting on our behalf. And I think Laura and, and Ruth and others in the team would testify, we get on the phone to them, they are so helpful. They're on it, and they're, they're, you know, they're back within 24 hours. It is brilliant to know they're there. And Common Fund pays for, contributes to all of their salary and support. But here's the most exciting thing about Common Fund. Uh, so it costs, there's a sort of what's called an average parish share. And it, it basically, the average cost, if you average it out over all the churches, is about 82,000. So you see the figure there is 93. We're paying above the average cost. And the idea is, the reason why it's kind of an invitation, is that for those churches that can, they're invited to contribute more to pay for those churches that basically can't. And as area dean, I can tell you that even just within our patch, there are churches that are in very poor areas. Uh, their, their parishes are, are really hard up. For example, Ben Humphrey is the vicar of St. Michael's in the White City Estate. He has a relatively small church, about um, 25 to 40 uh, who worship there, but they have him as their full-time vicar. He's there, salt and light in that estate. Uh, but pretty much every member of his congregation is unwaged. They're uh, unemployed, on benefits. There's no way that they can afford um, the 82,000, which is the standard cost. So they, they, they fall below that. And you say, well, so they, they should have a vicar. But that, that's a vital area for the Church of England, the Church in general, the Church of Jesus Christ, to be shining as light, to be salt. So for those of us that can afford to pay a little bit extra, we contribute extra in order to help those who can't quite make up the common fund. And we support ministries like Ben in the White City, or another guy called Jim Tate at St. Catherine's in the Westway. Again, that, he's basically got the A40 running straight through his parish. It's, it's, I, I, I can't imagine what it's like to minister in a tough area like that. And we support him. Us and other churches who can pay over common fund. So uh, what I love about your generosity to us is that we can pay it forward through the common fund. So that's, uh, that's one part of our ministry giving. Here's another, staff operational costs. 
Now, I could, I could get Laura to speak, but I don't want her to have to sing for her supper. But let, let me tell you, if the administration of this church was left to the vicar, you would be up the creek without any kind of paddle at all. Uh, uh, and again, we, you, you don't want me to be kind of working at things I'm just not skilled at doing. You want to release me in my strengths. So we employ people who will make a, Why is my lodger laughing? <laughs> so so part of, the, part of our, our income is to enable the staff team to, to sort of balance out the, 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 all the different strengths uh, for the ministry that we need. But also because most of you, and you're kind of, um, you're, you're not, you're untypical for a, for a church. Most of you are fortunate enough to be in some kind of employment, whether, whether it's paid or, or unpaid, but you're, you're busy during the day when school assemblies uh, need to take place or when we could be visiting the, the homeless or the lonely or when we could be putting on lunchtime events or whatever it might be. You're not available because you're, you're busy working. So um, much of the work that you would want to do as a church is delegated to a staff team who can work on your behalf. They don't, they don't become a church for you. We are all church. But your generosity enables us to employ a small staff team that enable the mission and ministry on all of our behalfs to take place. I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that, Laura, in terms of, in terms of just like what you do during a day, for example. Yeah, so... Um... Well, I, Ruth and I work very closely together and we do lots of very practical things during the day, lots of finance stuff, um, making sure the planning of events is coming up, that's all kind of planned quite far in advance, we've got the turn cards on the, on the seats, we, we sit down together as a team and we work out months in advance trying to make sure that we've got all the right events on and that they're not all in one week and um, things like that, so we're constantly doing some operational stuff. Um, to make sure the church can actually, well, try and get out into the community and um, and put on things that we know that you guys want to come to. Um, should I talk about the next? Yeah, can't you yeah. should move on to this final slide. So um, that's very like operational, um, but of course we we well most of you probably know we have the four priorities uh, that the QCC uh, sat down and, and just sort of uh, put together um, and. We as a staff team um, really believe in those priorities and so we've really put a lot of our time and energy and efforts into sort of leaning into those priorities. Um, about 80% we estimate of our time as staff goes into sort of facilitating those priorities. So um, an example of that might be something like presence. So um, presence allows us to spend time corporately praying and prophesying over like the church and um, yeah, just being in, um, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, that actually takes quite a lot of time to make happen. Whilst it's not necessarily very expensive to run, the time that goes into it beforehand is quite a lot. So Connor, for example, will spend time getting a set together, sorting out a band, Liz will spend time deciding what she's gonna, what, what scripture she's gonna use, um, who she met asked to speak, um, prepare what she's going to say, um, all those sorts of things. So actually quite a lot of our time goes into making those things happen. Similarly, you can see um, on the next slide, if you wouldn't mind just going, thank you. Um, uh, discipleship from the, the orange on the left, 85,000 um, 
we budgeted for this year to into discipleship. And actually, for example, um, about eight and a half thousand pounds is budgeted within that for the weekend away. Because actually we think that's really important. We think it's a really brilliant time for discipleship and everyone coming together and learning and spending time together as church. Um, again, obviously that's a weekend, but takes months and months and months of Ruth's time, my time, Tim's time, everyone's time, Hannah's time, working out all of the kids' work that she did so wonderfully uh, this year. And so it takes a lot of staff time beforehand. Um, so that's where our salaries are sort of going towards. Um, just one other example, um, we budgeted about £1,300 for um, mission in terms of really local mission, things like the Regenerate Rise and um, the Pre-Glass Store, stuff like that. Um, if, if any of you have been involved in that, you know that, again, they don't really cost anything. Um, we've always tried to spend money on them, but they just don't really cost. But again, it's the time that um, that is gone into making sure that all works and it all happens and that um, it all kind of runs smoothly and so actually glorifies God in what we're trying to do. Amazing. Laura, thank you so much. If you've got any questions about the operation of this church, do grab Laura at any time, not like tonight, but throughout the year. Same with our treasurer, uh, same with me. Honestly, we're, we want to be as transparent as possible on all of this at any time of the year. Come and, come and ask us uh, any questions that you've had. But for now, Laura, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, let, let's, let's just focus this. Uh, uh, one or two little facts and figures from, from last year's, uh, the, the reports we had up on the, for the APCM over there. Um, the average gift given by a regular giver at St. Arnest is £190 per calendar month. Um, almost exactly half of the committed membership of St. Arnest give regularly. So it's about 50% give on average £190 per calendar month, for which I want to say we're incredibly grateful. Um, by the way, just as a little segue, and I, uh, but I just think it's important you know this, there are only two people in the church, for, for operational reasons, you'll understand why, there are only two people who know who gives what. That's the treasurer and Laura, because we, someone has to administrate the giving. But no one else, including me. I, I like to know who gives. So I know who gives on a regular basis and who doesn't. But I don't want to know, and I know some of the sums. I've got an idea of the sums of money that are given. But I don't know the correlation of the two. I don't, if I'm honest, I don't sort of trust myself with that knowledge, being in a powerful leadership position. I think I'm not strong enough, if I'm honest, not to be skewed by knowing that you earn that and you give that, or you give that. Or, I, 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 don't, I don't want to know. It would skew the way in which I uh, attempt to minister God's love to you. So I, I don't know that. I know who gives, and I know some of the amounts given, but I, I don't make a correlation. Only two people do. It's to, again, I just want to be transparent there in how we're trying to trust God, basically, with, with, with all of this. £190 from 50% of the committed membership of the church. The median London wage... Uh, is 34,473. In other words, that 34,000 pounds, half of Londoners who, who earn a wage are above that, and half of the Londoners are, are below that. 
That's the median wage. If you were to tithe that wage, I take 10% of that, it would come out to £287 per calendar month. If all the committed members of St. Diana's were to give that tithe, the median wage tithe, I'm just working on the assumption that we're, we're around there somewhere. There'll be a number of you, I won't ask for a show of hands, but there are a number of you in this room who, who earn less than the median, and there'll be a number of you who earn above it. And my guess is we're about, well, we probably, on average, we're probably just above the median wage. If you take the church as a whole, think about those in the 10.30 service and the 8.32. So if everyone, committed member of the church, and we've just done the GDPR exercise, we've just done the electoral royal exercise, we've got a pretty fair idea of who's, who's committed and, and on side. 181 at the moment. If 181 were to give a tithe of the median wage, then our annual income from gifts alone would be £624,000, which is just under double what the income was from last year. I promise you, I'm not saying that to beat you up. I'm not saying that in any way to be coercive, because I, it is incredible what we're able to do with the gifts that we have. All I'm wanting to say is, think what we could do if we had even more. So, so for example, we got this. We work with Rise, the Generate Rise. It's great. The tiny frustration is that we kind of have to partner with an organisation who do things their way, at their time. And the reason why we got with Rise is because we gave up with Fulham Good Neighbour. Because it, it just, they, frankly, they were, they were pretty disorganised. We, we, with the expertise we've got, we could have done a better job. Frankly, we could probably do things more often than we'd like to uh, if we didn't partner with Rise, if we did our own thing. But as Laura's just alluded to, if we were to do our own thing amongst the elderly and the housebound in our own area, and boy, are there so many of them, then, then that would take more kind of administrative time and, and, and organising time while you're all busy at work. We, we would willingly, happily do that, but we need to take on maybe some extra stuff to do that. At the moment, because up until now, when we've been working in our little secret hidey hole that no one knows about called the vestry, there's a shut doors and a bar and keep out. We're going to change all that living space. So we've all been free to work away because no one knows we're there. Ruth, who is a, a fantastic administrator, and she kind of works away doing all these things, but um, you kind of none of us get disturbed. But, but if we're going to open up the entrance and people walk past and see and glimpse in because the, the glaze front and they'll see us all there and the intrigue will be too much of them. They'll, we need someone devoted to them, to be available for them, interruptible. So how do you get all the work done if you're being interruptible all the time? Well, we'll need to think about taking on a kind of, um, someone with a sort of receptionist role, won't we? If we're to play our full part in the ministry mission in this church. Um, I wouldn't like to toss up the number of hours I've spent um, sweeping this place, shooting up ladders to change lights, uh, kind of doing a kind of caretaking, verging role. I understand that you all live all over the place and you're at work and I live just next door, so who's the sucker who's going to do it? Obviously. But is that, is that the best use of my time? Is that, oh, you'd love our vicar, he's brilliant at changing light bulbs. Gifted, gifted light bulb changer. Or, or, or would you rather 
that your vicar was giving himself totally to the kind of things that you hope your vicar was doing on your behalf and with you in the local community. So, so as this place gets used more and more for a living space, won't we need to think about maybe taking on a few hours a week, someone who could verge the place, caretake, maintain it? And that's going to cost money. And it's money that we, we haven't got at the moment. These are dreams, these are aspirations. I'm kind of tossing them out here. But if more of us were committed to give, then the income, just, just to be clear, I'm not looking to spend more on the maintenance. I don't think, oh great, we can spend more on the insurance, or we'll get the mouse man in more often. No. <laughs> we only have to do the lightning thing once a year. We only have to do the pat test once a year. I'm not thinking about once a month. I don't want to spend any more money than I have to on the maintenance, on the building costs. They won't go up other than sort of in line with inflation. The, the more money that is given to this church will go straight into ministry and mission. Because we've kind of covered the cost. So we, we, you know, we've got to pay the insurance, so we paid the insurance. So any additional increase will go into ministry and mission. It will go into the stuff that we really want to do. Here's the final little thing on Common Fund. Because I know I, I have conversations with some people that say, how much is Common Fund and where does it go? And how do we know that that money is being well spent by other churches? And I'll be honest, that's a, that's a, that's a fair thing to push back on. Where, where is the accountability on a lot of money being given to other churches? How do I know it's being spent in the same way that we would aspire to spend it here, ministry and mission? And I was in a meeting with uh, the bishop and, and the guy who runs finances and the diocese the other day, a few, a few of us were in the meeting, and they basically said that they are exploring ways in which churches can, through through the sort of common fund, can give restricted sums. So it doesn't just go into the general pots. We could say, um, we know X and Y and Z church that would love to, I mean, they would, what they couldn't do if they had a part-time youth worker or a community worker or an administrator. There are, there are vicars who are as bad as me at admin who don't have an administrator. Pity those churches. <laughs> but what if we could... What if a few churches could come together and say, we'd like this money specifically to go to an administrator over there at Church Z so that we can release the vicar into ministry and mission and it's administrated well. And, and they're exploring ways in which we can pay our common fund, but then alongside that, restricted gifts, I mean, gifts specifically for this or that or the other. I would love, I would love to chair a meeting of the PCC where we say, guys, because of the generosity of diamonds, They've given this much more money. We've got this pot of money that we can now devote to mission. And here's this cause, or here's this possibility, or here's this seed funding. How about it? Let's pray. Let's hear from the Lord. How are we going to disperse our generosity from God to bless others? Would, would you like to be on a PCC like that? We're too late. We've already voted for it. But next year. I lay that challenge before you. There's, at the moment, there's 50% of us who give on a regular basis. Please, again, I know how generous you have been in the one-off donations with Living Space. I'm talking here about our ongoing housekeeping, if you like, with a view to being generous to others. The PCC are kind of ahead of the game. Is, uh, I've got this little, we've got this kind of um, KPI. I was getting a little bit nervous when we get into management speed, but I think that stands for Key Performance, Performance Indicator. I need that, really. 
Uh, and we've got a key performance indicator for our giving. And at the moment, so at the moment it's about 95 on about 181 givers. It's, uh, that's just about 50%. And by the end of Q4, which stands for quarter four, uh, so at the end of this year, uh, we want to get, we're aiming to get to 132 givers. And we're aiming to grow the congregation to, or the regular call to 220. So from 180 to 220, we've got about six, seven months to go. And we want to increase the givers from um, 96 to 132. And that will, that will represent a 60% uh, giving base. We've got to keep going. But that's, you realise yeah, these things don't necessarily happen overnight. But we've got a kind of plan. We've got a strategy we're praying into to see increased generosity so that we can see increased blessing in this patch and beyond. Sound exciting? What's our response? To, to, to the generosity of God within the economy of the kingdom. I'd argue it's the only way to live. Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus says. Or uh, as uh, Paul says of the Macedonian church in chapter 8, he, he says of the Macedonians, he's trying to give an example to the Corinthians. The Macedonians church, they gave themselves first to the Lord. And they begged Paul, please let us give. Read it in the first part of chapter 8. And Paul is kind of relaying that to the Corinthians. He says, I promise you, if, you, know, if, you, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. But if you sow generously, you'll reap generously. If you start to give through the church, we will hear more and more stories like Laura's and Ellie's. I want to get, I, what, do you know what I'd love? Just, what I'd love is to get Ben Humphrey down in two or three years' time. Can he come here and testify to how his church has been released and blessed because of our generosity? That, that would be amazing. You see a church in the white city where frankly, relatively few of us would, would love to minister. It's tough. And to hear of stuff going on, God at work, as a result of ours and others' generosity, that would be so, so good. So can I ask you to, to review the state of your finances? How much has God given you? Maybe the question is not, you know, how much of my money should I give to God, but how much of God's money should I keep for myself? What do you got to be sensible? You've got to live, put bread on the table, you've got to pay your bills and insurances and all of that. I understand. But for a number of us, there's, there's money after that. And it's about paying or giving what's right, not what's left, the sort of coins like Laura was saying. So we start, we say like 10% for God. Oh, 10%, that's not a lot. Okay, we'll start at 1%. If you've never given before, start somewhere. What, what is 1% of your gross earnings? And then, and then dare to give that away. Remember, it's not giving away. You don't lose, you invest, you'll grow. You'll grow, you'll feel your heart change. Mark and measure the difference, 1%, if you've never given before. If you're already giving, would you consider giving a 1% increase? When was the last time you reviewed your giving in relation to your earnings? I, I've recently, the Church of England tells you had a modest pay rise. Uh, so I need to, um, Lydia spent the morning working out exactly what it was per week. £33.40. £33.40. Let's not brag about filthy <laughs> <laughs> money. I hear my mum. Don't talk about this. We've had a pay rise. Well, so, it's on me. I need to review, because I, I set up my giving a, a little while ago, and I've, I now need to recalibrate that, if I'm going to keep in line. 
So for some of us, we need to review. For some of us, we need to start. For some of us, maybe we could give more so that we can begin to hit some of these targets. Not because we want to tick boxes and say, oh, how good are we? But because we want to see the kingdom grow. And as we see the kingdom grow, and we join in with the generosity of God, we are transformed. That's, that's, that's the grace of giving that God gives to us as we give. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pause for a moment.